You're listening to a DM podcast. G'day guys, welcome to episode 217 of the Talking With TK podcast. My special guest today is Phil Bailey. Now Phil is a former professional rugby league player. He played 127 first grade games. He kicked it off at Manly before spending the majority of his career at the mighty Cronulla Sharks. He represented New South Wales and Australia in three games before moving over to England where he spent four seasons with Wigan. He racked up 101 games over there. Post footy, Phil's actually crossed codes to Rugby Union. He served. He has served as the head defensive coach at the USA Eagles, director of rugby at the Hong Kong Football Club, also spending some time at the New South Wales Waratahs. Welcome to the podcast, Phil Bailey. G'day, Bales. Thanks, mate. How are you? Doing good, man. This is uh, going to be a cracker because I've been looking forward to this. We had a bit of a yarn before we started this show and... You know, we we're talking about kind of the appreciation the Sharkies fans still actually had for you, despite all these years going by. But, mate, let's kick, th- kick things off. Inverell and the Baileys. Tell me a little bit about Inverell, my man. Inverell, yes, that's about you know, eight and a half hours northwest of Sydney, so it's a long way, long way from uh, the NRL. But uh, yeah, we were just, you know, normal country footy team. You know, mum and dad, mum had her own home base, childcare centre. Dad just worked uh, in a hardware store. Lived on the out, just sort of right on the outskirts of town. Made ten thousand people, and just sport consumed everything in the bush back then. You know, you were cricket all summer, yep. rugby league all winter. Yeah. Now, mate, your brother's a couple of years, what two, two or three years younger than you. Two, yeah. Chris, now he played NRL as well. How, like, you're the big brother. Like, what was that kind of relationship like growing up? Well, mate, no, it was really good. Like, we had a really, we're pretty close and we're like really close as, like, still now. Um, but, you know, when he came down, he first got signed as a, like, at the West Tigers. Okay. So he lived with me at Cronulla and just had all his mates like flopping in all the time. Like, so yeah, <laughs> it was, it was a good experience. We're all pretty close. We go and watch him play footy and that sort of thing. But he, he, sort of fell out at the West Tigers there, didn't make it any further, went back to the bush, ended up, you know, becoming a Tyler, made, uh, played pretty good, played got country player of the year, that sort of stuff, went to Nelson's Bay, played there as well, and next thing you know, the Knights signed him. Yeah, so nice. Like a, yeah, a bit of a spluttering stop-start start career, but he did well in the end, yeah. Yeah, Bells, did you used to like rough him up a little bit in the backyard? Uh, yeah, yeah, like all big brothers do. Yeah. <laughs> used to go through puberty that little bit earlier, so you get it in. I can see it with my boys now. They're four and two. It's already happening. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Mate, I had the same. My brother's two years older than me, but it's one of those things, but right, it's the obligation of the big brother, I feel, to actually toughen him up. And sometimes, mate, was, was Chris more, between the two of you, when you were coming through the grades, who was more highly rated? Um, uh, I don't, I don't know. Like, I, um, I made, few more rep sides than that when I come through. Um, but he was always just injury like prone. Like so when he was like hitting his prime around fourteen or fifteen, he got in the Canterbury development squad okay. and now they're flying him down every um school holiday. But then all of a sudden he just tore his hamstring off his bone yeah. as, off the bone, you know, as a fourteen or fifteen year old. And yeah. then same when he was at Manly, you know, like shoulder reconstructions, New Year's well too. Like when he gets injured he gets big injuries. Yeah. Yeah. Now mate, back in Inverell, what did your parents do for Christ? Uh, yeah, so we had mum was home based childcare, so he had our own little childcare centre. And nice. dad, yeah, he was just um, he managed the hardware store, the local hardware store. There nice. wasn't too many. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> there was only one in town. There's yeah. no Bunnings. There was none of that. Did you have like a farm or anything? Nah, no. Nah. A lot of my mates had farms out of town, and like my uncle had a farm out of town. So there was plenty of like you'd have your weekends away, you know, doing all that sort of stuff. Nice. Yeah. Did, did you have the motorbikes and that? 
we didn't have motorbikes, but like I said, they all had motorbikes. So anyone on a farm had a motorbike, yeah, and or a car. You know, you'll drive in it, you know, anywhere from as soon as you can. I remember my mate had a Valiant Ute, and they had blocks on the on the pedals because we we're only like twelve and thirteen, so we couldn't reach the pedals to drive it. So they, his dad, put all these blocks on the uh, on the pedals, and <laughs> so he could get in and drive it around the farm, bash it around in the post. Yeah, mate. You know, in in Varel, like for me living in Sydney, like we have a host of kind of like sports schools, rugby league schools. Yeah. All that sort of stuff. What's it like, kind of, in the region? No, nah, we don't. There's no real sort of specific sports schools. Like the big ones would be, you'd have to move to like Woodlawn Agricultural School, okay. like in Lismore, um, Farrah Agricultural Schools, like I think maybe Tamworth, Tamworth or something yeah. like that. They're, yeah, they are the big schools that if you are uh, were good enough or your parents wanted to send you there, yeah. But that wasn't for me. I didn't. Yeah, I didn't want to go to boarding school. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think that idea did not. Uh, yeah, sit well with me, mate. It's it's close to Tinga, right? In Varel. Yeah, we're fifteen minutes from Tinga. Yeah. Did you know the yeah. big Owen Craigie and all those guys back yeah, in the day? Yeah. So we, so they played. So Preston, even PJ Marsh as well too. Um, are we? Who else? Nathan Blacklock. Yep. They are all at Tinga, but they'd all go to school. They do their primary school in Tinga. Then in high school, you know, there's no high school in Tinga, so they all come to Inverell. And they, um, yeah, they were either at McIntyre High School, Inverell High School. They played for the Inverell Hawks. They played for back then. The town was split by the river, so your footy side. If you're on the east side, yeah, yeah. you wore like a manly jersey, but it was like the uh, east were the predominantly white jersey, and Inverell West was a predominantly maroon and white jersey. So that's how they split the town. And okay. they said, yeah, if you're born, that's, that's where you live. That's where you're playing. Uh, so all through under eights, all the way under 16s, there was two Inverell sites. And then as sort of, you know, things changed, and now, now they're scraping together just to get one pretty mm. much. But back in those days, it was, yeah, it was good, you know. Yeah, Phil, given the talent of yourself and your brother, like was, you, was your dad a footy player? Nah, dad broke his kneecap, like fell out of a tree when he was like 10 or something, split it in half. And then oh, they no. just sort of back in those days, they said, mate, you can't play contact sports. So he was pretty much a basketball player. Okay. But my mum's a really good ten- tennis player. So she's, we always say that's where we get our athletic ability from because <laughs> she's, uh, she's like 75 now and still plays veterans tennis and things like that. And double, she's pretty ranked, highly ranked in the, in the doubles as well too still. So she, yeah, Patty gets out there. Nice. She's, so she, she's the most active member of the Bailey clan left. She is. She is now definitely. definitely. <laughs> how's your body after? And, yeah, how's your body we, now we after? To fire as well yeah. too. Mate, how's your body yeah, after a time? Not too bad. Not too bad. I've got um, I ruptured my Achilles over in Wigan, and that's probably the only thing now. It just doesn't. It just doesn't work like it used to. So you get a bit of so some hip problems as my go, um, because one leg's shorter than the other, pretty much. Yeah, I can imagine, mate. That would hurt. Now, mate, yeah. in terms of rugby league, like especially back in there in Varel. You know, a lot of sports, as you mentioned at the top of the show, but how did you first, is it a school thing that happens or local rugby league uh, club? How do you get involved? Well, it's just, there's it, not that much, like sport back then was everything. So like, you know, you had um, like the, and Sunday footy was, it. you know, we had, I think the state bank big game. So mm. it was like, and you only got the replay before the news. So it was once a week. You had the ABC game with Artie and Warren Boland and those, so Debbie Swain, those ones <laughs> on there, that kitty. And that was it. So, you know, like my grandfather, he lived with us our whole life. So he loved the Western Suburbs Magpies. So we'd always sit down and watch the two o'clock game or the two thirty, whatever it was on the ABC. But you didn't get that much Sydney footies, but you got your local footy. So, like I said, you had all the juniors on a Saturday. Then on Sunday, you had like the senior. And back then, there was two competitions. There's Saturday afternoon was the pub comp. So all the pubs had a team. And that was more casual and, you know, a lot more heavier guys. And then the Better sort of players, as you want to be more serious about it, they played uh, sort of in the Group 19 competition, which was on Sunday. Yeah. So you had plenty of footy um, 
growing up in the bush, yeah. Well, how good now is the three o'clock game? Like, I love it. Like, I went for a period like yourself. I'm only a few years younger than you, so us growing up, it's that game, especially back then there's no Fox Sports. You tune yeah. in for that three o'clock game. And then there was probably a 20-year 20, 20 patch where people were saying, oh, all the kids' sports are on all this sort of rubbish. But now, yeah. cracking open a beer at 3 p.m. on a Saturday and, like, oh, having scary. an absolute just ball with your yeah. mates, it's the best. I don't know where that come from as well, too, because what kids play in sport at 3 p.m.? Like exactly. Kids sport here where I am now, that starts at 8 a.m. That's when it kicks off, and it's done by after lunch or one. I guess there might be other things that start a little bit later, but definitely not 3 p.m. It leads nicely into the day, and it's a better form of footy as well. That's why I thought a Western Australian grand final would go well if the NRL sold it over there because it's mm. daytime footy, nighttime crowd. True. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's a good one, mate. Like, yeah, you're right. When you think about it, because they're two, three hours behind, depending on whether there's daylight savings, they can That's kick it, off yeah. at three. That could literally be the 5.30 game, which no Sydney teams want to play anyway. So yeah. you could so, be honest with them, mate. NRL yeah, CEO, no, here he comes, Phil Bell. Mate, just yeah. talk to me about like when you, you were identified, because you talked a little bit about your brother yeah. and how he got identified by the doggies. But, mate, what yourself, what was your pathway? Yeah, so we had a couple of talent scouts because Newcastle was our catchment. So they come down a few times, had a look. I went um, trained with the Knights and that. I remember like Sharpie was still there, Peter Sharpie yeah, yeah. was actually coming through. Yeah, he was reserve grade coach, I think, then. Yeah, so had a few trials there. I had a trial there actually and just did some training with them. Um, they saw that was about when I was in year 10. So they said, oh, look, we'd like to leave the kids at school sort of till their year 12 now. Went and had a trial at Penrith. So I had two guys I played with. Um, we actually got contracted by John Paul Marion. So that's when the Paul Tour brothers and all that's that. Where I went, that's where I went to school, mate. Yeah, there you go, mate. There yeah. you go. Well, they went down there in year 11 or 12, I think. Didn't like it, like left after three months and come back. But um, in that meantime, I was playing uh, Northern Division. So I was all the junior reps. You go okay. group nine at your group stuff, then your division, and then you need to get picked for you know country origin and then maybe uh, New South Wales as well. And um, a guy named John Reed, he was he owned a gym on the Central Coast and he was, he was coaching um, lower grades at Manly and also you know, scouting for him as well too. Yep. He saw me play and it happened to be that the bloke there, where he went to the gym, Pete Del Santo was like, uh, he used to live in Inverell and be a teacher. And he said, oh, mate, I saw this kid in Inverell. Do you know him? And he's like, yeah, I do know him. Yeah, I know his family, that sort of stuff, and small town. Anyway, so Reedy said um, – I reckon we should sign him. So he put my name forward to like Frank Panissi and those guys yeah. at Manly. And pretty much they said, watched a few trials, sorry, watched a few of my games in that uh, in that competition around the divisional stuff. And they just went, bang, we'll sign you. So Manly said, I'll give you $1,500. That was the contract <laughs> back then. Um, and the promise that we'll try and find you a job in what you want, like see that some sort of trade, like building or whatever. And We'll pay your rent. I think it's like a hundred bucks, hundred fifty bucks a month. It lived with like sort of a host family that Frank and the uh, Pathways people had set up, and that was it. They said, "Yeah, we'll sign you." Done. Yeah. Did your mum and dad so like it. coming from a small country town? Was there? Yeah. Did your parents just go go, Phil? Oh yeah. Well, they said they stayed at school, so finished school in year twelve, and then when you're done in year twelve, come straight down. So pretty much in 2017, I think it was, I finished like that. Instead of going on schoolies and that, I was doing sort of preseason. And every school holiday, they'd fly me down Manly and um, they'd just train with like the flag and all those sort of ones and back we go. Jesus, mate, you, you, bush, yeah. you must have loved the beaches seeing that you've come all the way back <laughs> and settled there, mate. I know. <laughs> I did. Well, I was very lucky. I said to someone that I said I played all my footy in Sydney, like on the beaches, yeah, to Manly and then just moved straight to Cronulla. So, yeah, the north and south end. Nice. Now, mate, with your first grade debut – 
Like you're you're coached by the great late Bob Fulton. Like, yeah. Do you remember the first day you met him? Oh, oh, mate. I've got the Bozo stories are the best because you know it was yeah. So well, I first got so I got pulled off a building site because of injuries and. um Peter Sharp rang me and just said, mate, can you get the training now? And I said, oh, it was like 11 o'clock in the middle of the day. He goes, oh, because we think we might be able to, we might, you might get started in first grade this weekend. So I come down and I sort of, you know, all the boys are milling around that, out they go on the field. And so no one's really talking. He's just all, sort of, just all caught up in it. And yeah. then one of the coaches grabbed us and goes, come on, we're going out and started a warm up. And then, they, then I think Shabby said, Bozo wants to see you now. And Bozo's in the middle of the field, like, you know, talking or whatever to someone. And he goes, righto, boy. <clears throat> What's your job this weekend if I pick you? And I said, oh, because all unlimited interchange back then. So, yeah, you know, yeah. if you're going donkey, they could just pull you off after two minutes or something. And I said, oh, make an impact. He goes, hallelujah, see you later, get in there. That was it. <laughs> off you go. So, that, yeah, he, he was awesome. And that weekend, so he, he picked me. But then, um, so we went to Newcastle, we were playing the nights and we're in the hotel that night, all that sort of stuff. And um, next morning, they had a team meeting and, I, and Neil Tierney wasn't going to play. So that's where I was going to sit on the bench at 17 and did the walk and all that sort of stuff. And, and Big Beefer went, oh, I'm in, I'm going to play. And I didn't know that. And then um, so after the meeting, Sharpie said, uh, Bars, come over here, Bo's wants to talk to you. And he goes, look, mate, you know, Neil's going to play. So, you know, he's trying to like make it, like, let me down easy. And Bozo just went, um, Sharpie, he knows the rules. Righto, boy, go up, get your gear. I'll wait for you down here in the foyer. Reserve grade's about to kick off. We'll drive across town and play in reserve grade. So up I went, down I get. Bozo's waiting for me. Righto, let's go. Drove me across town, pulled into Mar- the old Marathon Stadium out the front there, like the, the bloke, the ticket guy. So, oh, mate, should you have a parking pass? And Bozo just said, yeah, mate, yeah. Waved him and just drove straight up like to the, <laughs> near the gate, stopped, and just said, mate, you're right. Am I right to leave it here? If there's any issues? What did he yell? And just jumped out, and pushed, pushed us through. And pretty much by the time it took me to get um, all my gear on, that was it. We ran out. And that was it. Played almost a full game of reserve grade. And then after the game, like, Bozo, sorry, there's only about 10 or 15 minutes left. So Bozo was sitting on the bench and just like, you know, I come off and he went, well done. So that's it. Like that was, that was both, you know, you know, he was disappointed with you. And, you know, but if, yeah, let's few, few words and you, yeah, you got a massive lift from him. Yeah, Bales, you know, for guys our age, like I'm late 30s, you're early 40s, like growing up in those 90s, you know, names like Tuvi, Cliffy Lyons and, you know, yeah. Beaver. Mate, what was it yeah. like? Because they're our heroes growing up. Doesn't matter who you played, who you went for. What was it like, like sitting in the dressing room with them? Oh, it was insane. Like we, um, I played with Cliffy in reserve grade, Oztag, and uh, in first grade. You know, played. So yeah, and we had that. It's when he come back. So I was still playing at Manly. We come back. So the, I was lucky enough to play with him. And then you know, you had Beaver, Gartner, Gartner, Kosef, um, yeah. Jeff Tuvey, yep. we had Craig Field back then as well too, Neil Tierney, Graham Kai. There's like a lot of big name players there at Manly. And Spud had only just retired as well too, so he was around quite a bit. Our trainers were, you know, Desi Haslam, Phil Blake. Yeah, it was a pretty pretty cool spot to be in in yeah. that period. Hell yeah. yeah. Mate, did you knuckle down like training-wise? Like what were you like? Yeah. 
Oh, I had to. Oh, I just like got like so small, a big fish, small pond. You go, mm. you get dropped into that, and it's like whoa. And then you go up another level when you start to train with even reserve graders and first graders. And Manly had a good; like, they were really good for me. They knew I just needed to play footy at a higher level. And so, what they used to do was the first year I'd play flag, and then the second year I was playing flag and sort of reserve grade. But then they just needs to get more footy in him. So what they did was they dropped me to flag, and I'd play. 75 whatever minutes of flag come off have a lay down change the jersey and go you know depending on how i was feeling they'd either start me in reserve grade again yeah. or i'd come on after 10 minutes or so so i was playing two games a day i was either flag and, and it was all about my development it was just i always look back on that about they just put that much footy in me at that sort of level so yeah it was, it was really good yeah i'd love to see that come back i know we've had COVID for two years and most of the junior grades have been kind of rubbed out but that's yeah. that's for a grade system like you just mentioned. You played your full game of twenties, then you kind of got that little mix from time to time. You might not even get yeah. a run, but still, you mix, yeah. in that mix, you're getting that next level. Being around the boys, I think it's great, and it's even good for the fans. Like the fans get to it see is, the yeah. the next the next crop, you know. Yeah, and that was the thing. Like they were playing me both games, nearly full games in both games. They just said that's what you need, and the, obviously they saw something in us, and I just needed more footy and yeah. be around that sort of high level of footy. So yeah, and it was good. You know, we had Ian Thompson, McGilla. Yeah. He was the coach back then before he moved to being the, the CEO, and yeah, he was the same as well. He just spent a lot of time with you. It's just about playing that that footy continually and just not too much structure. Just you know, just getting a feel for the footy yeah. at that level. For sure. Now, Bale, second season. Did you cop a pretty nasty injury? Uh, second season, Before. I had. Um, there was, the, was that Northern Eagles? No, nah, because did you play two seasons for Manly, then the Northern Eagles, or was it straight into the merger? Yeah, it was. So 2019, I think it was, I was Manly, and then it went, yeah, 2021 was the merger for those two years. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mate, what was it like, especially mean? getting into that, because the merger, you bring two teams that hate each other. Oh. And don't worry, uh, I bet you ever get Frank Panissi and those sort of guys on this thing. It's such a and Sharpie. It would have been, you know, it's so hard to handle. So many big personalities. You know, you had the Adam Muir's, the Josh Stewart's, um, uh, who had Jamie Goddard, all the sort of North Sydney guys. Mm. Um, who else did you have in there as well? Too, Willie Lation, uh, really good players. And then you had all the Manly guys as well too. So you got like just this. Mishmash of all Aussie, but Jason Taylor, you know, he was the halfback, got Jeff Tuvey's a halfback, and everything was just a battle, you know, yeah. Michael Butner, or yeah, it, and then just the training as well, you know, you train there manly, then you're going up to the Central Coast back and forth, so there was lots of competition. Anyway, that year, I was um, Melbourne come and asked, could they take me to Melbourne and be in the Melbourne squad? So we had meetings, and we all got to go, and then Manly sort of said, all the North Eagles said, no, we're not going to let you go. Um, and then it was Chris Anderson at the time, uh, and him and Theo Burgess said, yeah, we'll take you. We've already spoken to the NRL. They said, yep, it's a restriction to trade because you're not in their top squad, so we can take you. Wow. So anyway, yeah. Where was Chris at the time? Was Chris still at Storm when he identified he was you? Storm, yeah. yeah ah, it, so yeah. this is kind of like a, yeah. a year early before he got you over to the two, Sharkies. Two years, yeah. Two, two years and change early, yeah. So, yeah, his recruitment guy, Theo Burgess, pushed it. And then they just sort of said in the end, they go, look, you're only a young bloke. We may meet again another time. Um, you don't really want to have to go through all this sort of stuff on the in the paper and, you know, be pulled from here to there and in a battle. If you want to stay and it's just stay. Yeah. And that was their advice. So it did. I stayed, yeah. Yeah, nice. Talk to me a little bit about the Sharkies period now because with Chris Anderson, like I've interviewed a lot of your, your former teammates and it's like down the line. It's like yeah. some people thrived. And then other people back into career, guys like Dean Treister and Nick Graham, like yeah. 
they got spat out, and that's just the way it is. Yeah. It's cutthroat rugby league, isn't it? But talk to me yeah. a little bit about your experiences with Chris from that perspective. Yeah, so he um, obviously had a vision, like to come in. He saw like the potential there at the club, and he just thought there was um, that he need they needed new blood, they needed some new new people in there, new people to be blood as well. Too, and you got to think like he's the catalyst for the Greg Birds and Paul Gallons, all that. Mm. He's the one who gave them all their like their first settle, made them household names and first grade footy players. You know, he gave them that start, the confidence to to get them out there, and he gave a fair few. Yeah, young kids. I mean, uh, when the Goodwin boys got to go, Nick Youngquest, all yep. those sort of guys who went on, Jeremy Lattimore, they're all sort of through that system that they uh, promoted when they're there. Yeah. And, and change is hard. You know, not everybody, um, you know, agrees with it and there's a different philosophies and things, but I liked it, mate. It was really good for me. Yeah. Um, mate, for you, it. you just thrived. And, you know, before yeah. we, we started, we were talking about versatility and we are talking about how you thrived because of the way that you played because you could – Easily play on the edge as you did all your yeah. career, but then switch over into the centres. So, yeah, share with us a story about how you actually got to the centres. Yeah, well, that was a we were just discussing before, like you said, like the prelim final. Like Chris McKenna went down and Paulie Mellor went down in that in that game, and I'd never played in the centres ever in my life, let alone in that sort of level. And then Oaks just chucked me out there. And then after it, we had a conversation um, in our review and he just said, I think this is the way footy's going, like, you know, big defensive centres like yourself. And the way that footy was back then, you know, right and left edges, so you could sort of get it down pat. There wasn't too much difference really between – so there was a remarkable centres, you know, like Gaz yep. and, you know, Matty Gidley, people like that who were just like their centres in today's game. They're like tier one. But most of the others were like, you know, you were there because you're fast and you, you sort of ran a play or whatever, you know. So he thought, like, yeah, we can do some versatility. And you've got like a back row, you can defend like a back row in the centres and, you know, we'll do, we'll do the rest. And yeah, we can, we can put the rest of that bit of footy in you. So it was, it was good. Yeah. It was a good experience and freshen it up. You just slipped from 12 to, you know, to the centres. Yeah. <laughs> Buzz, I've got a few videos to share with you, mate. And it's just okay, mate. from your career. First one. Miller there as well. Kamali away for He's a couple of tries throughout your career, but I'll touch what I want to touch on after we watch this. They're back to 12 10. The thing about this is that this is only the second time in the. Oh, look at him, just run straight through him. Gaz has got nothing. The other time they were down there for one tackle was when Peachy scored. By Stephen Kearney, the captain, and also Robbie Kearns was there. Peachy. Good ball into it, Gap. So, Buzz, while I get your confidence up there, the thing I wanted to talk to you about there, mate, was your ability to run a good line and your late footwork is, is something that you yeah. don't see a lot in players. Did, was there someone that taught you that sort of stuff? Oh, we worked on, like, Matty, Matty Johns. Like, I say to people now, like, that year I spent with Matty at, um, at Cronulla is that it was like, um, you know, when you see people who are blind and they've got, like, a a person that they are tethered to yeah, and yeah. they'd run for run with them so they can tell them where to go. I had a coach on the field for a year who would just stand behind me and Matty, he was saying himself, like his legs were almost gone that year, but his head was like as smart as ever. So he'd walk behind me and just tap me along and go, nah, nah, don't take that, don't take that one. Yeah, and we had a move with Dean Treaster called Rocky. So okay. whenever we wanted it on that, it didn't matter if Noddy wanted it or Peach wanted it on the left, if we called Rocky, it was overcourt. And Dean, I would step out to the left and take one marker with him, take one step, bang, hit as flat as a tack. And we'd play those sort of little Melbourne shapes and – he would just say to you all the time, like, you know, just walk behind and then we'd pull back in our shape and he would just literally say to you, boom, here you go, I'm going to get to him. And 
that's all you have to do is just go as hard as you can at hole. I'll hit you or I won't hit you. But if we both do our jobs right, the worst we'll get will be a one-second play of the ball. Nice. And Mate. off we go. And he just had that education. And after training, before training, we'd do extras all the time. And he sort of – I had really pro- – so when you said I got injured at Northern Eagle stuff, I broke my feet. I had really bad feet. Than that. So I broke my feet, I reckon, four or five times. Okay. So – and that was like a Jones fracture. So they got screws and bone grafts in them, all that sort of thing. And wow. I broke it. That's another story as well too, like with Opes in 2004 – no, 2003. Um. But we'll get into that a little bit later, yeah. But my feet would break all the time. So I learned to late footwork was what Maddie taught, like as late as you could. And in fact, doing drills where um, you would almost throw the ball across your body and catch it one-handed and it's just sort of sort of lean into the um, into the hole. Yeah. And But it was a lot of his. So he had all the young blokes out doing that continually. And we rep, We practiced it. We did so much practice on that. And it, it just, yeah, it was there for life then after that. Mate, what was the bomb? Because you and Matty are best of mates. He's 10 years older than you, and you only played yeah. one year together. What was it that bonded yeah. you guys? I don't know. We don't know. We played it like we were thick as thieves in that because we were both new guys coming in along with Danny Nutley. So we sort of naturally in preseason, you know, hung around each other. And then we just, yep. you know, had the same sort of, I don't know, um, yeah, we just got on. We liked the same things. Um, he's young at heart anyway. And, yeah, then we played on the same edge as well too. So in each other's pockets, we had extras together, all that sort of stuff. Uh, even in 2003 and four, when he retired, like on my days off, I'd drive or I had a motorbike at the time to like ride to Manly. And we'd go out and do extra sessions down there at Collaroy and stuff where he takes the Melbourne Storm now. And we do, yeah, you know, needed a bit more explosion. So we did things out of the beach and then um, – yeah, and on the field, he'd just walk around and literally, you know, throw cones out here and there and we'd just sort of walk our through, way through sets and, yeah, he goes right on now and he just says it's all about explosive power and, and late footwork, yeah. Pals, did he pick your right edge when you think about it? You on the right second <laughs> rower, Chris McKenna at centre, Paul Meller on the wing. Yeah. It's the biggest edge of all time to hide him. No, nah, well, how it happened was that, so Noddy, how we played, but Noddy just floated everywhere and so did Peach. And then um, he just said to Nick Graham one day, he said, mate, Nico, what side do you play? And Nick goes, I play on the left. And Matty goes, I play on the right. Oh, done. I can play on either. You just let us know. Which side do you want? And Nick Graham said, I'll play on the left. And that was it. <laughs> he picked oh. the wrong side. He had yeah. to do all the defence. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm right-handed carry as well, too, as well. So I thought, like, you know, it's a lot easier to catch that ball across your body in your right hand and use your left arm. Yeah. I'm not that great on the left still. Yeah. <laughs> Bales, you, you brought up the flat attack before, and uh, Chris Anderson had yeah. such awesome success be- between Manly and then especially the early years at the Sharks as well. What was it like? Because even now, we don't see a lot of it, but when it's yeah. done right, it, it's a bloody good def- uh, attacking system. Well, he, that's the thing. He don't, I don't think he gives enough credit for that flat attack because everybody now, like, you know, Glenn Lazarus is off a two-step runner. And Opes used to say, you know, if you, have a heart, if you take two steps and get across the game line, before the mark and abs and have a heart attack, and you've already made us a meter, you know. So yeah. why give the defence an opportunity to, to come at you before you can go at them? So you can see them now. That's what they bring everyone onto the ball. That's all the, that they push up nice and flat, coming out of their own half. And then obviously as you get closer to your, to your good ball, you've got to get that depth because the defences are so good and so quick off the line to come up. And you saw those videos where you played, and they're like, the defence moves up five meters. They're yeah. maybe ten now. Like if mate, they're up. If you're in the yeah, if you're thirty meters out, they'll get that. <laughs> they'll go, they'll be sprinting up off the line, yeah, and they're into your line. So you need that depth to sort of try and pull them out of shape. But the flat attack, it just was um, it was devastating. 
Like, it was so hard to defend. I remember talking to Brian Fletcher about it, and he said, mate, the most scariest player in the NRL is Brett Kamali. Yeah. And he goes, because he comes onto the ball that fast. You've just touched the line, and then he'll go from B to almost uh, like what would be a D, and you're thinking, is that C defender going to get him, or do I have to turn in? All of a sudden, he goes, Fletcher's that it was terrifying. Because he'd be coming out and if you let out, he'd go through because he's that fast. If you let in, he'd probably pump one of your back rollers or Peach would be sweeping out the back and, yeah, you're in strike. Mate. But the flat attack, yeah, yeah. just took it to the attack. I uh, took it to the defence. It was really good. Man, I say, and I want to get your perspective having played with him. You just mentioned him naughty. I don't think he gets the raps that he deserves because he's like a – in NRL systems, he's like a quarterback, like an actual yeah. guy that could – you know, they give him a game plan and he tries to execute it and you see – how structured he is and where he tries to put you all over the field. It was like, yeah. for me, is like because I grew up being a halfback, I used to try and be, even though this is like a poor version of Kamali, but that's, that's what I tried to do. Yeah, he had electric pace, Noddy, and he was a he knew footy and was a good organiser as well too, but he knew his strengths. Like his strengths was running. If Noddy was running, we were all running. You know, you had to keep up. And that's when we learned about staggered starts. Like, if Noddy took off on me, I couldn't catch him as a back rower. So I used to be sometimes starting in front of him almost on the game line. By the time he – we could just feel it. By the time it was happening and we're rolling down the field, it, you just take off and then he would catch it. And then you just late footwork into the hole. But I think it was that game, that St. George game. I think it was – I think we'll get – might have been like 11-4 at halftime or something. It was that era when we lost like seven or eight games in a row or something yep. like that. And then – we come out in that second half and beat St. George like 23 to whatever they were leading, like four or whatever it is. And it was all on the back of just that momentum that Noddy created and yeah. you know, Peach, people like that, the big forwards going forward. And once it once it went, you know, you just couldn't stop it. I think we won 11 in a row leading into that, yeah, that 2003, was it 2003, 2003, 2003, 2003, 2003, 2003, 2003, 2003, 2003, 2003, 2003, 2003, 2003, the thing with Peach, like, putting the ball down, like, a centimetre from the, the dead ball line, did he used oh. to get in trouble? Like, what did your boy say to him? Nah, never, nah. But just in, in Peach, we trust. Like, he used to say there was nothing better than watching a kick go over your head and then as it goes over your head and you get trying to get behind the ball, watching David Peachy run past you. <laughs> it was so good. And just that, that, that style, that long leg, didn't look like he was moving fast. He didn't look strong. He wasn't strong in the gym. But, yeah, if he just would just move people like that big fan. Yeah, he couldn't get near him. And on his day, he's one of the best ever, Peach. He was such a such a pleasure to play with. Yeah, totally agree. Now, mate, you brought up such your, a great you, bike off the field too. Bales, you brought up your feet before and the troubles yeah. you had early on. Did that progress all the way through? Oh, all the way. Once I broke them in like – so we did a heap of uh, track running in like the Northern Eagles and they just started with stress fractures and then they just broke. Um, so got oh. operations on there, missed a fair bit of footy. Um, then it, then the, it broke again whilst when I come back. Uh, and then, yeah, so every year, you know, it was always a battle with my feet and I had to, yeah, just look after them. A lot of running, uh, long-distance running stuff would really knock them around. And in the 2003 – pre-season, we are going to run through Sutherland, you know, all that, the bush out there yeah, yeah. in the National Park. And I was with Tony A.U. and we were just doing exercises. I, I sort of rolled my ankle in a hole and just I heard this big crack and it bro- I broke my foot again. Oh, so we went in, we did the x-rays and things like that. And I remember <laughs> Tony said, yeah, you've broken it for sure. And um, Doc looked at it and he sort of said, oh, mate, they get these in the army. It's a marching fracture. I can see you've had lots of breaks before. You see the calcification. He goes, if you can put up with pain. 
and it can, might be able to heal itself just enough for you to, to play this season or to play. So long story short, we made a plan with Opes, and Opes goes, if you can give me 40 minutes, no, 20 minutes of footy at Port Macquarie in our trial, yeah. I won't play you for the other trials, which should give you three and a half, almost four weeks, and that'll start you on round one, and good to go. We'll just play, and if it breaks, it breaks. That's it. That's yeah. how we're going to do it. So I played that 20 minutes in that much pain and just, like, we taped it up, put that much chocks underneath it, everything, played, and – um in the end, played the whole year and played Origin with a broke with a broken foot and, and for Australia as well too. Yeah, so it was um yeah it broke consistent like it had cracked sometimes. I just pull up and they wouldn't needle it because they said we need to know the pain. Yeah, if, if we um if we needle it, then you won't be able to feel it and you could really you know break it and just keep running around on etc. So they they were good and yeah I was glad like it was a choice of you know get the operation straight away or persevere with it and persevered and in the end it, it paid off. Yeah, got me some rep games and. Yeah, and we just dealt with it. Like, had great staff in um, Tony Ayub and even Doc Givney. Yeah. And we just managed it all the way through. Yeah, Origins. Well, even in Origin, I got a little bit of an injury in Origin with as well. And Lizzie Steet helped me out through that as well too. Yeah, nice. To keep to keep it covered up and get, get those games in. <laughs> my feet are sore just hearing you. I think I've broken my foot just hearing you talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're a burden. They just used yeah. <laughs> now, Bells, after your 2002 breakout year, you know, you guys make the prelim, but, you know, as you explained before, you know, you switched to the centres for that last ha- part of that, that game. And then 2003, after the first couple of games at second row, you got pretty much the rest of the season yeah. all in the centres. But realistically, that led you to being an Origin player and then finally in the Kangaroo team. But, mate, I've got some more highlights and we'll talk Origin first. And the first one, I've just cut out a few little clips for you to see. Simon Andrew has captain New South Wales. His record here at Suncorp is quite incredible. He's only lost one of seven matches that he's played Andrew Johns tonight. He certainly brought some good fortune with him here just ten days ago. Seldom has there been so much written about two guys. Andrew Johns and Phil Gould combined tonight with young Jamie Lyon and of course the other 16 Blues Not singing there, Bows Probably too nervous. To yeah, yeah, I was going to ask, mate. In front of being in Lang Park, making your Origin do, debut up there, fifty-five thousand people, mate. What's that experience like? Uh, the whole week, the whole thing was amazing because it was the first time they it was Suncorp now, isn't it? Is what they call it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was their opening game. That's the first game ever played there. They had it all teed up for them to win it. The old Lang Park is now the new Suncorp, and Gus just thrived on it. Where there's no way we're losing this game. Yeah. And I, st- I still remember the captain's run and just the confidence Gus put in everyone. Like, so they had an old boys' day, Queensland uh, old boys' day up at the top, and they were watching us as they come into train. And so we got out, you know, start a little bit of a warm up, kick around. Gus pulled everyone in. He goes, Right, look at all them up there. He goes, Mate, you, this is what we're going to do. Joey, kick off. We're going to do one big um, kick chase. 
sorry, reserves kick off, and then Joey, you get it and boot it straight back to them and go, and we'll just hit, we'll just give it to the reserves for a little bit and that'll be it, and then we go, then we're done. We gotta go, we gotta go. Don't we don't need this done? So he goes, and you watch, they'll be all running back to their Queensland mates, telling them this is how they're gonna play, this is how they're gonna, they're gonna kick it straight back to us. Like, and our plan was like kick off to them and jam them. And you see that famous video like Denny Badiris runs fifty meters and Webke just gets out of the end goal with him and Rico and that just throw themselves at it. Yeah, but yeah, that was that was just like such a small stif- snippet of that whole experience. It was amazing. Yeah, mate, Joey during like during training sessions yeah. was he intense? Joey demanded so when he, yeah when it was on yeah, he was intense. He expected that it'd be nothing for him to glare at you, throw the ball at you, and things like that. Like he, no, not directly at you, but just to show his disappointment that you're not at his level and you need to be if you want to be in this. You need to you need to get up. And then after that, he's the most generous, nicest person yeah. you'll ever meet, as, as everyone would say. Yeah, in the scallyway, where everyone loves him. Yeah, you know, absolutely loves him and follow him anywhere in a footy game. But yeah, he demanded, um, demanded. And he, another thing about him as well too, he knew every player in that Queensland side, yeah. even their coaches and everything inside and out, everything about them. You know, what colour undies they wore, the lot. He knew everything about them. So just preparation, preparation, preparation. Preparation, yeah. yeah. Yeah, he may play the clown on that, but he knows everything. Yeah, and it's that. from hard work and study. Yeah. Nice. Mate, you brought up WebKey before. What were you thinking fighting him? <laughs> well, that's just Gus whipping into a frenzy again, yeah. <laughs> you had a couple, mate. You picked yeah. out some really silly ones. Sonny Bill, you oh, picked out him. Jesus, yeah. And then you oh, picked yeah, out well, Shane. That and... a, yeah, that was a draw. We'll just keep that as a draw, see? <laughs> <laughs> with him. <laughs> you know what? I think you actually got the better of I'm going to give you the points for the one against Webkey. You got two shots in. Hey, me and Webby laughed about that on the Kangaroo Tour and that because he's, he's a really good bike, Shane Webkey. We actually spent like fair bit of time together in that kangaroo tour and we'd, all, we'd always laugh about that sort of thing yeah <laughs> yeah it was just that was it just the moment that sort of stuff they got up start swinging around and away it goes yeah for yeah. sure and like you know you know footy fights they don't laugh. like they're not like they were in the 80s and 70s where they just turn into a fight forever like a yeah. proper fight they just they're over in 10 seconds and no one really hits anyone yeah except gallon eight miles that was a fee <laughs> Fellas, what was it like? Because that 2004 season, the Sharks were having a bit of a lean year, but with you achieving kind of rep footy and that sort of stuff, just come back, you know, just sky high? Yeah, it was. It was good. A lot of confidence as well too. So, yeah, after playing that sort of stuff, I remember uh, I saw saw Blocker in an airport once and I think it might have been in 2005 uh, or or the end of 2004 and he said, he goes, mate, I think you're playing better footy now than you did in 2003 when you got picked on the rep side. So, like, well done, kid. And, like, you know, little things like that to yeah. career, like, sort of stick with, especially for someone who's seen so much footy was such a great player in the day as well, too. So, yeah, and, yeah, we'll try because there was a lot of changes that year as well, too. A lot of young kids were coming in as well. So that's sort of the, that was a, sort of the beginning of the, the next, the blooding of it all, I think, the change of the guard. Now, Bells, next thing I want to talk to you about is that kangaroo tour that you mentioned. Now, yep. I've, got, I've got a clip from that game because you debuted against the New Zealand game, but realistically, it's probably yeah. this game that... Mate, this is one of the best test matches I've ever seen. And it starts with, as you know, bloody Morley absolutely just taking the head off Robbie Kearns. But we've got about a minute of footage that I've cut up for you, mate. And This is going to be interesting. It's given. And that's Robbie Kearns. Good tackle by Mike Forshaw. Got no idea how Robbie Kearns is still alive. Morley's break, scored by 
sideline. Does he have control? Well, we've had them given in Super League week after week. I don't think they'll give it any. Well, our first reaction was no try. It's all down to David Campbell, tonight's video referee. All the British supporters are on their knees. Here's it. Last tackle. No penalties now, Great Britain. Kimorley. They're going to try and run it here. They're going to try and run it here. This is Craig Wing. He's got speed to burn. Oh, they're over. The Aussies are over. It's Lockyer. So many talking points in this one, Buzz. Like, it was like a movie, right? Like, there was just so many. Even just starting with you and Wingy playing in the centres. Like... Yeah, so many injuries that tour, like so many people couldn't play, like, yeah, didn't make the tour, yeah, and then a lot of versatility, like, yeah, the versatility got us in, but, um, yeah, that went, I think every one of those games, those three test matches went down to two, two or four points, I think, and, and down to the wire in every in every game. It was, it was amazing. Like, the very last kickoff, I like, that was my last game because I, um, we went up for the ball and me and McCrocker went for it and just a melee of palms and us and made a finger. I don't know if it was Crocs or whatever, but it went through my eye and broke my cheekbone. And so Jesus. I was in a hospital for a week in Manchester. Like, I couldn't see. They were, every night they were waking me up to, yeah. So after the game, we'd won and that, we sat in there and all of a sudden my eye just getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And then went out of shower and got big and they put, brought the, the English doctor in, Dr. Brooks, who's actually the Wigan doctor. So we, we, um, uh, yeah. yeah, sort of six sliding doors and met, you know, a few years later. But he saved my eye because everyone will go to just go back to the hotel and get on the drink. thought, oh, I might be a broken cheekbone. It's all right. And, that, and he looked at it and did some tests. And so he was pretty high up at Manchester Hospital, at Salford Hospital. Yeah. And he rang the doctors in, got one of them out of bed, and they sent me there and they said, yeah, mate, you're going to lose your eye if we don't start doing some things now. And, yeah. Wow. So you play pretty much the best test of all time. You don't even get to celebrate it. (laughs) Yeah, we had a beer and Jesse said, that's it, and wheeled off the hospital. Yeah. (laughs) Mate, what about the video ref in that one? That Brian Carney tries no try. (laughs) That's no try. It's England in England. You could hear the commentators like Eddie Hemmings. They did what they wanted it to be a try, and just the death riding is brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. They just wheeled it on, yeah, and death riding the Aussies. Like you could hear the disappointment when we score in the commentary. Did you play with Did you play with Brian at Wigan? Nah, he, he'd left by then. Yeah, okay. We ended up living together in the, like a couple of years later. Yeah, so we were how good did, mates. How did that happen? Well, he played a year at Wigan with Matty Johns. Yeah. So then when he came over here, we sort of were all good mates. So Matty, myself, Joey, him, and that you know my brothers at Newcastle. So we sort of just ran in the same circles, and then yeah, we went to England, and I think he went to rugby union then the year I went over. So. He stored all his stuff at my house uh, in in England. And, yeah. yeah, went to the union. Yeah, then when it, vice versa, then <laughs> then we just ended up living together at one stage as well too. Yeah, yeah, good. Now, mate, what what got you over to Wigan? Like leaving the Sharkies? Yeah, so it just sort of was, just felt like I was running dead at the at the Sharkies for a bit. Like nothing was really happening, and, and mm. we just sort of from like you said, like two thousand two, three, four it was always it was going up. Then five, it just started to it was okay, but then six. We just lost a lot of players and didn't seem like there was a lot of infighting and stuff like board level and all that sort of thing. And it just didn't seem, it just seemed clunky. Yeah. And it just, anyway, so I started to get a few offers from overseas as well too. And, and I thought, oh, see what I'll, see what I'll, I've always wanted to play overseas and travel. And so I did, I just, I was going to go to, I had Catalan Leeds and right at the death, I think Wigan were, um, actually that year, Wigan, 
Wigan were having a shocking year. They had lost like they were going to be relegated almost. So they were playing yeah. not to be relegated. And then we had Adrian Lamb as an assistant. And so he knew some people over there as well too. And I got a like a call to say, mate, do you want to come over for the back end of this season and help us out as sort of hopefully we don't get relegated, and, you know. And uh, But I ended up signing with them so for the following year. And, yeah, that was it. I thought, yeah, look, let's do it. Like it's a very lucky to get to play at Wigan, like such a famous club. And, yeah, so I took, took it and jumped, which then – I'd made that signature. Then after that, they made the change with uh, Ricky Stewart was going to come to Cronulla. Okay. And I remember running into Shane Flanagan at the cafe and he said, oh, look, um, if you want to get out of the Wigan deal, me and Ricky would like to keep you. So if you want to, let us know. And I had a bit of a think about it and I just thought, look, I've committed to Wigan now yeah. and yeah, they're, they're not going to get relegated. They just beat the relegation. So I said, look, I'll do it, yeah. And yeah. Especially because what would you have been at the time, like late 20s? Yeah, 26 or something like that. So, yeah, something like 26, yeah. Yeah, nice, because you would have, you know, that late 20s, mad, like you said, travelling and stuff like that, meeting new yeah. people. What's the best yep. spot that you kind of travel to over in, in Europe? Well, in Europe, oh, I don't know, there's so many. Cause that was, a, that was one of so the, good. That was just a thing, is just that on your weekends, instead of, yeah, you just jump on a Ryanair flight, or, you know, any of those cheap airlines. And I remember going, the first time I went to Italy, the, the flights were literally one pound. And then to come back was nineteen pounds. How yeah, good. And you just change your flight sort of. Yeah, it was brilliant. Took so a zip over on the weekend. <laughs> yeah, I did. I like the. Uh, I like the south of France and the south of Italy. Like, yeah, the further south down there, where it's a bit more rustic. Sounds good, mate. Sounds good. Now, mate, you had early what Brian Noble, and then did you have Madge for the last couple of years? Brian Noble and Madge for the last year. He come in, yeah, yeah. in the last year. Yep. What was that like? Were they, were they tough taskmasters? Uh, Brian Noble, not so much. Brian Noble was really good. Like, he was tough when he needed to be, but he was more of a man manager in that sort yeah, of role. Okay. So he liked good mix of really, like, older senior leaders, players. Uh, and you can see in the sides he had it, like, sort of Bradford, where they had access. Like, you now they brought Adrian Morley back for, like, four games to win a grand final. You know, <laughs> so he, he liked his senior players to lead the way, and, and that's what he had. And then he had a sprinkling of, like, good young talent that come through. Like, there was a Joel Tompkins, Sam Tompkins, Liam Farrells, all those, Mickey McLaurins. They were all on their way through. Um, just that sort of year, and then the following year, that's when Madge comes. So we had at Wigan had the biggest, probably them and Leeds probably have the biggest junior base of the best players. Yeah, we had that at Wigan, and then also a mix of the really good players like your Sean O'Loughlin's, uh, those sort of guys who had played matches and things like that, but just needed a little bit more technical footy in them. Yeah. So when the Madge when Madge come, he got everybody fit, and he just gave us like it's very simple game sort of structure, just structure, and it was just sort of your blocks to blocks to blocks, but it, it was revolutionary in England at that time. Like, yeah. the NRL had been doing it for quite a bit of time, but just that structure and having everyone so fit, you know, we had a great year, yeah, and ended up winning the comp, yeah. How was the social life when Piggy Riddell arrived, mate? Oh, the fire, yeah. <laughs> well, Piggy settled down, so he had uh, Carly come over, his wife as well, too. We actually lived next door to each other, so it was me, <laughs> Piggy, and Tommy Lillard, yeah. <laughs> We had a great time. He was good, mate. He was really good. Nice. Yeah, he wasn't. He wasn't a big fan of the army camp. Ever if you get him on, ask him about his army camp days, and just say, "Settle down, mate. Settle down." You know exactly <laughs> what you're talking about. Especially with Piggy. <laughs> now, mate, you know you talked before about tearing your Achilles. That was your. That yeah. was the second. That was two thousand and nine, wasn't it? Yes. Yeah, and then you did you you attempted a comeback, right? About two thousand ten. Yeah, I did. I played it all year of two thousand ten. Yeah, so I got back. Um, just under six months and just played. And yeah, because I knew, yeah, they're a pretty tough injury to come back from. And I was hitting that sort of 30 mark. So yeah, I just worked really, really hard to get back and, and play. Um, 
and it, it was difficult as well too. Yeah, it, it, it's uh, it just my right leg doesn't have any of that power, or my right sort of calf and Achilles doesn't have any of that power anymore. It's yeah, just like a bit of chewing gum that thing now. Yeah, I can imagine because you know before I said your point of difference was your late footwork, and I can yeah. imagine how much yeah. that would have got taken away just losing even That's just a it. little edge, right? That and also too, I played on the left that that year, the whole year, which I probably done very rarely in my uh, only as sort of a replacement and then that sort of I couldn't lean on my right leg to yeah you sort of just you were one leg and yeah it wasn't it wasn't good I probably come back a little bit too early but you know a new coach all that sort of stuff so you wanted to wanted to get out there and we had, and you could tell that we're going to do something pretty pretty good because we were a good site a good mix of like really good young kids coming through yeah now Buzz, I heard you talking on Maddie's podcast about you attempting to get into the army, and it all seems yeah. like you had like for a lot of retired players, they don't have their act together at all. It seemed like you had a good plan, and that yeah. you were going to you know execute that plan as well. But then your injuries actually held up you. Well, pretty much put a stop yeah. to you getting in. It did, yeah, that's right. So I remember Maddie and I after like sort of did that retirement sort of. Eight, tossing it up and because uh, I had a two-year deal at Salford as well too so I sort of started there and just realized like nah it's not there you know and so planning for the future and then we were going for a walk he was what do you do after footy mate I said I'm going to join the army and he looked at me like I swear to god <laughs> you could tell it's like a disapproving father he looked at me like as in is he joking uh, are you joking and then he went and then like he does like he just went and he goes why why do you want to join it I said well mate I think it's a fantastic career opportunity like it's it's, it's not like what people think. It's like a full metal jacket. Like the Aussie Army is a pretty prestigious place to be and like you, you're learning leadership. Like I've been in that sporting world. I could get pick up a whole heap of new skills here and then move that again with just another string to your bow. Then when you ever get moved to your next job, you, know, you might be in the Army for four years, two years or, or 40 years yeah, yeah. retire. But it doesn't all have to be frontline infantry. You know? <laughs> There's a lot of options to go. So, yeah, that's that was my plan, yeah. Yeah, but it must have been pretty – because you had, like, what, references from David Gallup and a whole heap of people, yeah. right? Oh, yeah, all the specialists, a lot of them, yeah, a couple of guys from the Army that I knew would write it. And then, then one of them just said to me, he goes – so they ruled me out because they said – um, so we did make me doing that sort of stuff, and they said, "Look, yeah, we'll actually give you." Uh, back then, you had to be under thirty to get direct entry into like the commando unit, like to, to just trial out for it. Yes. And um, when I left my interview, they said, "Yeah, mate, we actually we can. You'll be older, but we'll waive you." And so you know, you went from no, you're not getting yes. How good's this? Like someone from Canberra said, "Yep, yep, we'll waive your age." So I went back, trained, did all that sort of stuff, and the interview takes a bit of time. Got all the specialists to write letters and David Gallup and all those sort of people. And in the end, they said, "No, you know, you're probably too much of a burden on us. Like yeah. if you get injured again." Um, but then listening to blokes in the army, they said, and this is probably a special thing about Australia, you know, that they go, "Mate, we have that many people lined up, like fit, healthy, robust, like tier one." Yeah, yeah. people to join so he goes and his words were we're not like other countries or the US where we're pulling out of shopping malls to send them over to war like we've got like the tier one that all these people to pick from so you'd be sitting in a category of yes we probably would like you but you're too much of a liability okay. for us with your with your nourish, yeah. so mate so, and that was it yeah oh wow what an end of that journey but mate you know from there you know you travel again how'd you yeah. how'd you get over to America <laughs> Well, I was doing a little bit in England. So when I was doing that training, because it was a wake period, I just went over to England because I'd finished, still had like, I was living with Brian at the time, so my gear there. So I just trained the whole time and then started doing a bit of the London Broncos, a bit of recruitment. Yeah. Anyway, we we went to New York on a holiday and then um, come back 
And what I do, I needed to get my visa renewed. That's it. And I flew to Australia and then the lawyer rang up and said, they've changed the visa rules. You won't get it turned around and you won't, you won't be, um, uh, you won't get your visa pretty much on, on these terms unless you can have it processed before this date. And the fastest place to process it in the world is New York City. Oh, wow. So the next day I got on a plane, flew to New York put it in it and they said, all you have to do is get it stamped and put it in the passport office. It may take one week, two weeks, it may take three weeks, but it, when it gets approved, you'll be on the old system, not the new system, so you'll get your visa. Anyway, that story I met, I met my <laughs> now wife yeah. there after about a week or two and, yeah, and we hung out for two or three weeks and then I went back to England. She stayed in New York and then we had to make the decision. Things were getting pretty serious. What do you want to do? And she said, I'm not moving to London. <laughs> that was it. So I just packed my bags and got a three-month visa and like just a travel visa, went over, uh, had some introductions of people at the New York Athletic Club, also Matty Astle, like an ex-Manly player. He uh, owned the Australian bar there in Midtown, so met up, I sort of knew Matty from that and met up with him. We did some stuff with the New York Knights and I knew, man, I am playing footy. Like we were at, uh, <laughs> at year 40 playing on this like Astro turf. It was so hard. And we would train and um, – just yeah, but we got a good introduction to a lot of people there. And anyway, went up to the rugby club and they said, uh, just through the small community, said, Do you want to come up and you know, want to play for us this year or so? And so I met some really cool people and like a guy named Bruce McLean. Yeah. He owned a big security company and all this sort of thing. And anyway, he goes, Man, I'll sponsor your visa. I'll do it. Yeah, um, we'll put you in as rugby coach. We'll see if we can get it through. And anyway, the New York Athletic Club sponsored my visa pretty much, or not they didn't, like some other guys did, and just how New York works. Anyway, put it all in, did all the paperwork, and, yeah, got got a visa, like a working visa for a couple of years or whatever it was, and ended up playing for the New York Athletic Club up there in uh, Pelham. And, um, yeah, mate, it was, that was unbelievable. That was like another level. The New York Athletic Club's like so – if it was a if it was a country, it'd be like fifth overall in the Olympics for medal tally, okay. like in the world, like world, because they just go around and pick up the best athletes. They sponsor them and things like that, and they yeah, they represent the New York Athletic Club, but also they're Olympians, and you know it's got the I think in New, it's in New York, so it's got the only the, one of the only indoor basketball length basketball course besides like Madison Square Garden and Brooklyn yeah. and that so. Every team that come would, you know, I was doing shoot arounds with Chris Mullen. And like <laughs> oh, really? The Detroit Pistons <laughs> turn up, and you know, any team out of town was coming, they would like sort of book a spot at the New York Athletic Club to, to practice or their shoot around. Yeah, so it was pretty pretty cool place to be. Yeah. Now back to your missus, mate. Is she a true New Yorker? Did she grow up around that area? No, she went to she was Minneapolis to okay. start with, and then she left as soon as she finished university. Then she spent like yeah, twelve years or something in New York City. Yeah, I love that part about Americans, eh? Because they just they go to somewhere different for college, and then they all like the dream of going to the Big Apple and that sort of stuff. They actually do it, but it's mad. I love it. Yeah, they test they go test yourself in the in the in the Big Apple. Yeah, nice. Where did you guys live? Were you in Manhattan? Yeah, yeah, we lived in the city. So we lived um, East 34th Street, yeah. Same street as so just down by the East River. Talk about yeah, 333 East 34th Street mate, between 1st and 2nd Avenue. That's it. <laughs> mate, the tag, the city that never sleeps. Like, I remember going there. I think it was oh. 2000. And, so I had one of the biggest Monday nights in my life. Like, like there. And I'm going, it's Monday night and I'm getting home at like 5 in the morning and it's yeah. normal. That's it. It's um like they say, there's uh, the bloke explained it to me said, it's somebody's bachelor party, uh, you know, bar mitzvah, wedding, day off, Friday night. 
every day of the week because everyone in the city just, like you said, doesn't sleep. So hospitality staff are out like it's Friday night or Monday and Tuesday night and then, you know, people are closing deals and they work different hours. Yeah, it's insane. It is insane, yeah. Mate, back to your sponsorship. Did they know that you played rugby league and not rugby union? Yeah, they knew that, yeah. So they used to – Beauty of Google. They just Googled. Yeah. And said, yeah, you're the because they get lots of people trying to because a great opportunity. And they looked at it and went, wow, okay, yeah, right. Yeah. We can actually sponsor him because yeah, you, you, I had to do all that all the sponsorship stuff. So yeah, she did play at this high level, etc. And yeah, off we went. Wow. And the following year after that we cut I coached. So yeah, that's how I sort of got into the coaching. Didn't couldn't play really much anymore when offering too much as a player and didn't really want to play either. So but jumped into the coaching part of it which was really good yeah mate was it kind of like was it overwhelming when you first started coaching um not really not too much because it wasn't at a very high level yeah so when we're there like that was just yeah it wasn't very high level so and you played with a lot of those blokes and knew them so had a bit of help from some other guys as well and we just sort of chipped away at it but just bought some more uh sort of almost just a lot of drilling and things like that. We got away from because they weren't um, like technically like rugby union players because yeah. they just didn't weren't exposed to the technicalities of one or two guys to really knock out the line outs in a scrum. And just yeah, just changed the sort of that culture. You know, we just played rugby league pretty much. Yeah. Did you intentionally kind of go the defensive path? Is that kind of the easiest way to yeah. interpret your skills from rugby league? That's what most of the coaches say, yeah. Mostly guys will go into the defence stuff to get a handle of it just because the the nuances and the technicalities they like to run with, like, you know, off line outs and all the structure and things like scrums and attacking pieces. Like, yeah, there's quite a bit in there, um, maybe too much sometimes. <laughs> you see the All Blacks play pretty good, don't they? They play very similar to like rugby <laughs> league players. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, that's usually where you go, you get your best handle on it, yeah, in, in defence. Yeah, so, Bells, mate, when you went to – when you worked for USA, like – you yeah. went to a World Cup, right? Yeah, I did 2015 World Cup. Yeah, so yeah. I was doing my bit there, and we're just bringing some principles around, you know, um, defence and that. And then they said, "Yeah, would you like to uh, be part of the coaching staff?" So away we went. Yeah, who so did, did, who did you boys play? Remember tours? We were. Well, we had that's another experience with the US. So we had we actually played the All Blacks at Soldier Field, so in Chicago. So that's when that's when they really thought rugby union was going to just explode. Yeah, yeah, I remember that they, game, yeah. The All Blacks come and they sold out Soldier Field, like sixty thousand people. The Americans and the All Blacks from Good Morning America, all this sort of stuff, you know. <laughs> Sports Center, a lot of it, yeah. And so we played there, and yeah, it was it was unbelievable. Then I think who, who we played, we played Scotland, uh, Japan, Samoa, I think, or Tonga, and maybe one other. Yeah, that was sort of our draw. Yeah. Mate, you know, in terms of like getting South Africa, getting oh South Africa as well. Mate, yeah, that was the other one. Wow, good draw, yeah. mate. Getting yeah. this, getting the standard of kind of like USA rugby. Is it going to take more like players to leave America, get into different leagues around the world? Is that kind of the first yeah. step? There is a few. I just don't. It's it's tough because it's. Uh, so I give the example of New York City, for instance, right? So mm-hmm. if you've got a you want to get a rugby union team in New York City, which they do, and they play at Coney Island, um, but you've got the, so in football, you've got the New York Jets, the New York Giants. In baseball, you've got the New York Yankees and the New York Mets. In um, ice hockey, you've got the Islanders, the Devils, and the New York Rangers. In soccer, you've got another two or three soccer sites. Yeah. So now we've already got 11 professional sport teams that are billion-dollar industries besides probably the soccer. Yeah. How are you going to break that market? Yeah, true. 
And it's so hard. Like, it is so hard. And a guy told me he actually was at New York Athletic Club and he worked for one of the sports channels or whatever, and he said, look, I'll give you a tip. They come in and ask for money after the after the All Blacks game, but in the meeting, the first thing we said to him was, like, we get more viewers on TV for indoor volleyball than we do for rugby union. Yeah. So how much do you think we should give you? Yeah. And that's the market you're competing with, you know? That's the market. It's tough. A lot yeah. of the guys who played union, they fell out of football programs uh, or basketball. And the best ones were basketballs. Okay. Because they had the agility, they were tall, they were athletic. Yeah. But it was, um, yeah, like the kids growing up there, not many of them, unless you go to sort of private schools, were really, you know, had their eyes set on making rugby careers. They all wanted to be you know, NFL players, baseballers, basketballers, all that sort of thing. Yeah. yeah. Mate, how did you get to Hong Kong? So when I was there in New York, so we finished the sort of the end of the World Cup, and then someone reached out. Um, yeah, they knew. Oh, I forgot how it happened, actually. Um, one of the players, yeah, one of the athletic players, his brother lived in Hong Kong, okay. and they were looking for a new coach. They wanted to try and have a really good shot at the World Cup and see if they could make it into the World Cup or also to the sevens program as well. So they wanted just a little bit more professionalism and see if we could come in and see if we just change up from a very amateur environment. And also to the Hong Kong Rugby Union, we're pumping a heap of money into their program to – have a professional rugby union program as well too. So, yeah, anyway, did a couple interviews and my wife and I went, what do you think? We was like, this could be an adventure, like give it a whirl. So we decided, yeah, let's give it a whirl and see what it's like to live in another part of the world and away we went. Yeah, I love it, mate. I love it. Now, mate, you know, in terms of coaching, you know, you've done all this stuff in rugby union. Would you ever try again in rugby league? Um, I might do. I might. Um, I'm more because I'm working in also the business uh, side of things now, like uh, yeah. as we call it, proper jobs. <laughs> no, they're not the sporting world. I really do like the, uh, and I manage at the moment, so I do like the managing, managerial side of um, the sport. And so that's sort of in the front office. I don't think I'd coach. Um, I think there's a lot of good young coaches coming through and that, you know, you'd have to go right back to the uh, sort of, sort of, I've had that feel, had that little bit of that feel and, yeah, I'd sort of more. I like the front office sort of stuff at the moment. Now I like what I'm doing at work, yeah. I really do, and I think that can transfer. Um, yeah, and I say that to the young players now, and that like we get a bit down on ourselves, and for years we were told like you know, especially when we were going through like you know your blue collar, your mungos, all that sort of stuff. But <laughs> nothing transfers. You got to have a backup plan. But like people don't realize how much effort you have to put into to even just crack it in the NRL or even you know. As they say in America, you get a cup of coffee. Like you hear people say, oh, did you play in the NFL or baseball? Yeah, I had a cup of coffee in, in the NFL, you know, which means you hardly ever play or you didn't even, you know, sure just got there and didn't make it. And that happens in the NRL. So I think people underestimate how much drive and, you know, resilience, robustness, all that, that players actually have who do make it. And that's, those skills do transfer across. Yeah. I know that. And regularly, very, very good to you. Very, very good to you. Like, it's taken me all around the world. It, all it, around the world. It's a good conversation because I had a chat, South Sydney's Mark Nichols, he came on last week. Yeah. And yep. until recently, he was working. Like, this is the first time in his whole career that he's got an extension for more than one year. Like, yeah, wow. But we're talking about, like you just said, the transferable skills. And a lot of players don't realise yeah. how many transferable skills that you guys, even just something simple as – because you guys got feedback on a daily basis. Yeah. Like, you know what it's yeah. like working in the business world now. Your boss might 100%. talk to you once every six months if you're lucky. Yeah, that's right. And, and, and that's it. Like, things like silent running, where people don't say anything to you and you're sort of lost, you're swimming around, you know, you're doing a good job or not a good job. Like, that happens in rugby league all the time. You're just expected to do it. You're expected to do your job, you know. You don't need a pep. Like, the plumber doesn't need a pep talk to do his job. Like, that's what you are as a professional athlete. You turn up. You need to do your job. Uh, you know, we're punctual. We're 
routine. We've got opinions. Um, yeah, a lot of transferable skills, you know, your, your problem solvers. Your, or you can take feedback is a big one, I find. With, uh, yeah. You can Huge. take feedback and, and you've, yeah, you've dealt with ups and downs, a lot of it. Yeah, there's, there's, a, fair few, there's a fair bit in there. Yeah, especially like with what you do now. Like you must find that clients like – like the thing is, is, you know, relatability is like people like talking about you – rugby league little stories that you can just it's just entertaining at the same time you, you, you're interesting yeah. do you know what i mean yeah that, that's right you're interesting and it's a, most people are rugby league supporters even though they don't really admit it they know exactly what you're talking about and yeah. um they and it just oh well we deal with the media as well too so we deal with the media and you know if you do a bad i'll say this to people as well too like if you, if you have a bad day at work it's not on the front page of the telly yeah or on the back page of the telly, <laughs> you know what i mean or across social media like you just get on with it you shake it off it gets done but like you know you so you have that resilience and yeah it's um yeah and it's managing people the thing the big thing someone told me i actually learned it from a guy in the army a mate of mine in the army and he said that's what management is just managing yeah the people below you's anxiety yeah if you can do that then they'll be happy you know everyone worries about something you've got a really good manager that sort of shoulders that for you and looks after you then you can do your job without the worry and you see like wayne bennett craig bellamy they've got to be trent robinson they've got to be masters at because mm. it's been so good so successful for so long and they manage a lot of players that then after they leave that environment sometimes don't do so well. Yeah, definitely. Now, Bales, to wrap things up, I've got my dinner party question, then we're done. So, yes. Phil Bailey, you've got five invites to a private dinner party. Only rules, yes. no family or friends, but you can invite anyone dead or alive. Five invites. Five invites. Um, you know, I'm reading a heap of books on Russia at the moment, so I'd go Vladimir Putin because I reckon he'd have a fair few Fuck, He's interesting, eh? He's an interesting fellow, mate. Man. Yeah. Yeah, he's held. Yeah, it's you know. Did you yeah, hear about his ice hockey events where, like, literally, oh, yeah. people just like let him win? <laughs> see his ju- wait till you see his judo ones. Yeah, I haven't seen that one. Is it on YouTube or something? Oh, yeah, he's a black belt. <laughs> judo, yeah, so have a look at those. Yeah. Yeah. Um, who else have I got? Anthony Bourdain. Okay, I like Bourdain. I love the travel shows. His books really good. Uh, Kitchen Confidential and that Raw, those sort of things. They'd be pretty serious characters, I think. Cause Bourdain's dead, but um, so I reckon I'm into comedy as well. So I got into comedy, uh, like the clubs and that sort of stuff when we were in New York as well. So that was like amazing. Like, we went, like that's just a little seg bar. We went to a on a Tuesday night to literally uh, just a, a, a dive bar down the bottom and had um, Pete Davidson from Saturday Night Live before he was Pete Davidson was just trying out material down there. And uh, I think Jeff Goldberg was down there as well, too, just telling Joe. <laughs> Yeah, was, good. Yeah, Tuesday, Tuesday night. Tuesday night. night. <laughs> Tuesday night. So made Dave Chappelle and Bill Burr. I have those two. Okay. Um, two comedians. And I was going to say I'd have Bruce Springsteen, but I think he'd be too political. He wouldn't just play the guitar. So I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, Noel Gallagher, but he's only got he's only allowed to play acoustic Oasis um, numbers. Nothing from his High Flying Birds or any of the new stuff. Okay. Did you meet any of those guys over in when you were in the UK? Uh, no, no. I went to went to a massive concert in the park. Uh, where's it called? Um, just outside of Manchester, where okay. Oasis were playing, like in about two thousand seven or eight or something. That was, yeah, that was amazing. I would have thought the, the great Matthew Johns or Brian Carney would have hooked it up for you, mate. <laughs> no, no, no. Didn't meet any of them. No. <laughs> They're not Vladimir anyway. <laughs> well, Phil, mate, I really appreciate you stopping by the show and sharing the stories, man. It's been awesome to catch up and awesome to connect to, my man. Done, mate. Thank you for the invite, TK.